I wish that you guys could have met uh, John Morgan. John Morgan was a teacher. He was an educator. He was a Christian man. And is a guy that we, in the providence of God, came upon in about 1990 or so, maybe 1991, because we wanted to live in the country and we didn't, um, we lived in town. And I, I didn't care that much, but the kids really wanted to live in the country. So we were having one of those breakfast meetings with, with my oldest son, Kyle, we are just eating breakfast, and he said, Dad, I want to live in the country. And I thought, yeah, it costs a lot of money to live in the country because you have to have money to buy a house in the country. And so I said, well, you know, if you want to live in the country, tell the Lord. And if he wants you to live in the country, he'll work it out. And if he doesn't want you to live in the country, then he'll make you content living in the city, which is kind of what I thought probably we should do. And a couple of days later, I came home from uh, golfing, which is really a long, frustrating walk for me, but, and uh, <laughs> where I spray a lot of balls in the woods. As a matter of fact, uh, as an aside here, and a very important doctrinal thing I would like to teach, um, I went golfing one time, and I got frustrated, and I, I couldn't hit the ball, so I just emptied my bag of balls on the ground, and I hit them all in the woods. Because <laughs> like, they're all going to go in the woods anyway, so I just, I just hit them all in the woods. And, and the guys were standing there watching that. And, you know, years later, they, they were like, Dad, you remember that time you just emptied the bag and then you hit all the balls in the woods and then you went home? I go, no, I, I don't remember that. It's like... <laughs> anyway, I came in from this little golf outing with the guys in the church and the kids were all excited. Dad, we found a place! And sure enough, they found this house in the country and the, it was a, the, and, and the guy was willing to lease it to us for $400 a month. And it was a country house, big farmhouse in the country, on a hundred and some acres, uh, in a, in a floodplain where they couldn't build, nobody could build around you, in a little river valley, and it was an old house, and it had a gas well on the property. And, and matter of fact, I, I knew you'd want to see a picture of it, so. And then a nice house, it's kind of crooked, but it was straight, actually, uh, when we lived in it. And, well, I thought it was kind of artsy to put it like that, but now that I look at it, I kind of think it looks crooked. But anyway, isn't that a cool house? We, uh, and it's in the, the, the cornfield behind it is popcorn, which is kind of like living in Disneyland, I think, and it's kind of neat. And the guy would, when he'd come and he would, uh, the guy that rented the property, the, the part that was farmed, when he came, he was the coolest farmer. He would say to the kids, hey, come on up and jump into the combine, and you can combine with me, and that was pretty neat. It was an awesome place to live. Uh, we had a Ford 9N tractor, and if you know me, you know that that's like a sacred tractor in my family. My grandfather had these Ford 9Ns, probably me and you and a lot of other people in America had these, and they're all born, made here in Dearborn, but I hate to tell you guys, but they shipped a bunch of them to Ohio for people to farm down there. There they go. Yeah, they need, <laughs> they need a lot of help, Rich. And my grandma was one of those guys who loved that Ford 9N, so I love those. Whenever I see those tractors, I stop and I put my hand over my heart, and I just think... Someday I like to own one of those. I have no, I've, you know, my yard isn't big enough to park one right now, but, but it's pretty cool. And we had one. There was one there in the barn, and he just said, "Hey, use it. You can mow and do whatever you need to do." And it was a beautiful home. And John was an interesting guy, though, and that's what I meant to tell you about. John was a teacher, and he was a real humble teacher. When we got there, it had all gas appliances, but we had an electric uh, range. And he goes, "Well, we'll run some 220 for you, and you can use that electric range, or you can, if you don't want to buy." gas. You can, you know, we'll run some 225. I was like, all right. He goes, you don't mind helping me out? I don't mind helping you out. And the crawl space under that end of the house there, on that end, the crawl space where the kitchen was, is really old and real spidery and snaky and 
and stuff, at least in my imagination. It was just really short, small. And he and I crawl under the house, right? And he's like, well, you help me out. I go, well, I don't know what I'm doing. He goes, I'll tell you what to do. We'll just do it together. And we crawl under this house. And I'm doing that thing my dad taught me to do, you know, asking a guy about himself and where he went to school and tell me your story. And he's telling me a story. And I realized that we're under this house in like an 18 inches of crawl space in this hot spider infested crawl space with a guy who has a Ph.D., because I sort of think if you have a Ph.D., you should never have to get in a crawl space. <laughs> to me, it's just like you just hire people. You, you have a Ph.D., you're a doctor, you know. But not this guy. He was, you know, he was this humble Christian guy, John Morgan. He was on the board of Grace College and Seminary and an outstanding Christian man. And they leased us this place, $400 a month. We lived there for a long time. It was really neat. And the kids had just ran the place. He had this interesting quality, and I tell you this story so that it will be embedded in your heart because I want you to get this today because I think we're kind of not getting something as a church. And I want you to get something. I'm trying to say something over and over again, and there's misunderstanding in the church. I want you to get this. I want to look in your eyes and say, do you get this? And I want you to look in my eyes and go, I get it. So, and I think that's the way Jesus was. John Morgan was a teacher, and he wasn't just a teacher who taught when he got paid. He was the kind of guy that just was wired to teach. And you can always tell people like this. They repeat things. They ask questions that they already know the answers to. They'll ask you, so now why are we turning the bolt this way and not this way? Like, they know that. They don't need you to tell them that, right? That's a teaching technique. Are you, it's like saying, are you getting this? Only it's not rude, you know? So they'll do something, and then they'll say, now why do you think I'm going to do this and not this? Or why am I putting this on first and not that? John Morgan would come down and work around the farm. If something would break, he would fix it. He was a great landlord, but he would never do it alone. He would always say to our oldest son, hey, Kyle, come with me. He used to get water from the well, you know, and he'd drink it, and he would say, ah, this is the sweetest water I've ever tasted anywhere. And then he would say, let's work on this tractor. And then he would say, now, Kyle, what am I going to do, and why am I going to do this first? He would ask these questions. Because a teacher's always looking for the lights to go on. A teacher's always saying, are they getting this? Because it's not enough just to say something. You want people to understand it. You want it to impact their lives. You want appropriate change. Now listen, folks, we talk about change, and sometimes I get a black eye for talking about change. But you've got to understand this. Sanctification is change. Amen? In other words, if you're going to stay the way you are, that's kind of sad because... You and I both need to keep growing like the Lord. That's the kind of change that all of us must embrace. Jesus wanted his disciples to embrace this kind of positive change. So he taught them things. There were things, there were truths they needed to understand. Now, as Jesus Christ goes toward the last year of his life, you can tell that his teaching just intensifies. More and more, he's doing what he's doing because he has this intense sense that now he's going to die and he wants these men to go around the world with the message of the gospel. They're going to have to have an understanding of what's going on embedded in their souls. So Jesus is always teaching. He goes on the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember how this goes? He has the warning to his disciples that he's going to die. And they say, no, you're never going to die. And he says, get behind me, Satan, because I have to suffer and I have to die in order to accomplish my purposes. They're like, no, you're the Messiah. It's all glory for you. He's like, no, I suffer first and then I go to glory. And they go, and, and you're going to die too. And you have to take up your cross, he says. This is all from chapter 16. I'm kind of flying over. Chapter 16, you have to take up your cross. If you're going to follow me, then you're going to have to be willing to lay down your life and die. And not just I'm not just going to suffer, you're going to suffer. That's the way it's going to work. 
And, and so they're shocked and they're staggered by that. So what does he do? He takes them to the Mount of Transfiguration and he gives them a glimpse of his glory in order to get them through the heartaches that they're going to have to go through, they have the memory of the blazing glory of Jesus Christ. It's a foretaste of the second coming in power and great glory. Then he comes back down off of it. But, and, and what do they say up on the mountain there? Peter is like you and I. We're like, this is good. I'm liking this retreat. Let's do this every week. Let's build three tabernacles. Can I have a timeshare here? This is awesome. And then there's the voice from heaven, which I think is... It, 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 there's, can, do you see humor in this? Peter's yammering on. He's going, hey, let's build three tabernacles, which is really kind of an okay thing to say. But then there's the voice from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Peter must have gone, oh, man, why do I always do that? God wants me to be quiet. He's going to have Jesus talk now. Jesus, of course, speaks, reveals his glory talks about his glory, talks about his return in power and great glory, talks about his coming. And now they come back down off of the mountain of transfiguration. Peter says, let's just stay here because I like it here. Jesus is like, no, I've got some things you need to learn. And he descends from the mountain of glory into a real rat's nest of painful difficulty. There's actually kind of a... Did you ever see like a fight after school and there's just a big cluster of people and you know something bad is going down? See this? Like, like when I ask one of those questions, if like you nod, it makes the message shorter. It's just helping you out. You know, it's like, yeah, anyways, anyway, you, you must have seen that. And you're kind of like, what's going on? Or, you know, there must be an accident or there must be some... This is what's going on. There's a cluster of people. And, and when Jesus and the three disciples that are on the Mount of Transfiguration coming, the other disciples have gotten themselves into trouble because you know what happened, right? What happened was that there was a man there whose son had a severe problem, an epileptic, demon-possessed son. Threw himself in the water, threw himself in the fire, went rigid. We're talking about this guy had a crushing, crushing problem. You, you ever have a really bad problem that you don't feel like you know what to do about? You ever have a, like, a problem that seems impossible to you? You ever something happen to you and you think, no human being can ever help me with this, or I'm never going to get out of this, or this is never going to quit. You ever have that happen to you? It, when I say that, does it make something come to your mind that you think about, oh yeah, this is a problem I've struggled with all my life? Or maybe it's a problem that's yours because it's a problem that belongs to somebody else that you love so very much. And you're just like, God, you, couldn't you just deliver my loved one from this problem? And it's impossible how, that's how that man must have felt. Here is his son with this crushing, crushing problem. And the problem is something that Satan has put on him and demons have put on him. So he doesn't just have regular, normal human problems like everybody has. I'm hungry. I don't have enough money. My girlfriend broke up with me. Like everybody has. You know, my car isn't running. He's got demonic troubles. That's bad. That's bad. And they're a bizarre things. And he has a unique physical problem. Epileptic, demon possessed. My goodness. And he's throwing himself in the water, throwing himself in the fire. Can you imagine the energy required for a father to try to keep this kid from killing himself? So he hears this healing man is, is nearby. And he goes and he can't find him. But they say, well, he's not here right now because he's up on a mountain. But some of these other guys that go with him, maybe they can help him because sometimes they've been involved in this healing thing. And so they try to heal him and cast a demon out and they can't do it. 
Now, why is there a cluster of people? It's because the Pharisees have caught the disciples unable to do something, and now they're kind of turning the screws. They're kind of like making the Pharisees. Of course, Jesus has called the Pharisees out. So now the Pharisees, scribes and Pharisees are like, yeah, you can't do anything about this, can you? What's the problem here? So now you have this ugly mess. Here comes Jesus off the Mount of Transfiguration. And where they go, there he is. Let's go to him and ask him. Now, I want you to see this first in Mark. We're not going to normally do it this way because we're teaching through the book of Matthew. But the reason I want you to get it in Mark is just that the flow of the narrative is interesting there. And there's a couple details that are in Mark that aren't in Matthew. And they help you understand what Matthew says. But we're really going to get the heart of what Matthew says because we're teaching through Matthew's gospel. But if you look in your Bible at Mark chapter 9, this is, uh, this is going to give us the flow of the thing. And I, and I just think uh, right now before we go further, let's talk to the Lord together, okay? So join me in your heart in prayer that this, will, uh, this truth will kind of embed itself in us because it's really super important and practical. And maybe you're here and you're thinking, whew, you know, I've had so much going on this week. My mind is just going everywhere. And I, I, like, to, I like to kind of... Let me put it this way, and we're going to pray. You ever see a little child and you want to explain something to him? And they're just like too big. My grandson Kyle is this way. He's like, his mind is always somewhere else. And, and, and I remember his dad was a little bit like that. And, and I remember I would get down on one knee and I would take his little face, his little fat cheeks in my hands, I'd cup his face in my hands, and I would say, look at me. Listen to me. And finally be like, okay. And the father wants us to listen to him. And I, can I say this? I would like to ask you to listen with your heart to what I'm about to tell you today. So let's ask God to help us listen like that. Lord, I pray in the name and through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would just sweep across this building right now in a powerful way that those who are here would capture this moment to hear this simple, singular biblical idea that you want your disciples to understand and you want us to understand and that if we understand awesome things can happen in our lives so please lord right now i pray you give us the spirit of concentration that we be able to perceive and understand this truth in jesus name amen all right now here's mark chapter 9 i'm just going to go reading through it i just kind of talked through it a little bit i want to read through it now and i know your heart's long give me the word here it is okay mark chapter 9 verse 14 and when he came to the disciples he saw a great multitude around him and scribes disputing with them which to me is kind of interesting i'm like if you guys our religious leaders want you help this guy instead of arguing <laughs> they're just going to want to argue. Here's a guy with a kid who's demon-possessed, falling in the fire, and they're having a theological argument. Just interesting. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him and greeted him. This was Jesus. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who, is, who has a mute spirit and... Wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth. He becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they could not cast it out, but they, that they should cast it out, but they could not. So it's epileptic. He's demon-possessed. He goes rigid. He can't speak. He answered and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Interesting, isn't it? Jesus says, you're messed up. You're faithless. You're twisted. Bring him here. An interesting response. 
actually seems a little harsh, so it's, that's a little string we want to pull to figure out why would Jesus say that like that. And they brought him to him, and he saw him. Immediately the spirit convulsed him. He fell down on the ground. He wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. Often he's thrown himself both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. I don't think that on a morning like this, any of us could probably enter into the pain of this guy He's like desperate, and now he has a chance to be with Jesus. He's heard good things about what Jesus can do, and he says, please have compassion on us and help us. Jesus says, I can help you, but there's a little qualification, which has to be a bit disappointing. Like, I will help you, fine print. And whenever somebody says fine print, you're like, oh. (laughs) Chuck and I were out to buy a car this week. He was buying a car And the guy makes him this grandiose promise, which didn't seem honest to me, and it didn't seem honest to Chuck either. So Chuck smiles and says, can I get that in writing? Which I thought was pretty smart. And the guy says, oh, and he just starts backpedaling. He will not give it to him in writing. So it's like, we went somewhere else. Not because he wouldn't give it to him in writing, probably, but because he's obviously not an honest guy. He's going to make a promise he's not going to write down. I was like, Interesting. It seems that way with Jesus. He's going to say, yes, I will heal him. However, small print. So immediately when you think, oh, if there's a caveat, if there's a disclaimer, if there's an exception, I'm probably not going to have what I want. But that's not what Jesus was, because Jesus is not a cheap used car salesman. He's the king of the universe. And he came with a heart beating with compassion for people who hurt in impossible situations, oppressed by demons. And he still loves people like that. He still cares about people like that. He still wants us to care about people like that. So what does he say? Here's what he says. Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And the guy must be thinking, yeah, <laughs> I... I'm a little cynical about this. My boy has been sick for a very long time. Nobody's been able to help him. It's impossible. So he says something, and are you with me on this? I am so glad that the next phrase that he gives is in my Bible. Are you? I love this phrase, don't you? How many of you can relate to this phrase? Lord, I do believe. Please help my unbelief. Oh, I'm glad that's in the Bible. I just love that. And how many times I've said, God, I so want to believe. I so need to believe. I so do believe. But God, I'm such an unbeliever. Is there any hope for me that believes and doesn't believe sometimes? So the question is, this guy who says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Jesus doesn't say to him, well, you know, you go work on your unbelief. And when you get that taken care of, you come back to me and I'll see what I can do for you. He delivers this guy's son. Because it's not, you see, the, the power of the faith. It's the object of the faith. It's not, it's Jesus who has the power. It's not the guy who says, I got so much faith, I can do this and that and the other thing. No, it's who you put your faith in. Even if you just barely jump off the diving board, you're in the water. So you might just do a big, beautiful swan dive and a, you know, a big triple gainer or backflip or, or a cutaway and you might look really impressive. Or you might be like me. 
go up, stand shivering, trembling on the edge of the board, force yourself to do a big cannonball. That's all I've ever done, cannonball. doesn't matter how I jump in the water, it ends up being a cannonball. But I'm as wet as you are because I'm in the water because I took the plunge. <laughs> and that's the way it is with faith. Even a little faith that gets you off the board, you're off the board. Is this good theology? <laughs> doesn't sound like good theology. It sounds silly, but it is really good theology because the faith is... It's the, it, Jesus is the one that can help you with what it is that you need. Jesus is the one that can help you with what it is that's breaking your heart right now. Jesus is the one that can help you, the, the person that you love that has the impossible problem. Jesus is his or her only help. And you have faith. And you may say, God, I do believe, but I have these pockets of unbelief. And then he says, immediately the father of the child, I'm sorry, immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. He's weeping. Jesus saw the people came running together, rebuked the unclean spirit, said, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you come out of him, enter him no more. The spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, came out of him. He became as one dead. And then he said, he's dead. (laughs) He wasn't dead. Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. Now, it's only because a couple of thousand years passed that we don't burst into a standing ovation at that. That's prettier than a sunset. That's more wonderful than childbirth. That's better than marriage. <laughs> it's this amazing thing that Jesus delivers this guy who is no hope for. Can you imagine the joy in a dad's heart? Is there a mom somewhere back home and the man can't wait to bring his son? Are they going to go fishing now? Are they going to take... What's going to happen? And this is an amazing story. That's the Mark version of it. That's the Mark's perspective the Spirit gave Mark and his common way of saying it. But our text is actually in Matthew 17. And, and this is, again, just to extend the story a bit more, and then I'll, I'll make some implications that I think will really help you. Verse 14, when they came to the multitude, a man came to him kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son. He's an epileptic and suffers severely. He often falls into the fire, into the water. So I brought him to your disciples. They could not cure him. Jesus answered, said, O faithless, perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. Remember this rebuke because it's interesting. When you see something in the Bible that doesn't seem like it belongs there, it belongs there and figure out why it's there and it will help you. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. And that's verse 18. So let me, that's, that's kind of the story. There's a little bit more to the story I'm going to tell in a minute. But what I want to do here is I want to show you, I want to, I want to can I say it this way? Put your face in my hands. Look in your eyes and go, did you get this? Do you get this? Because I really honestly think we've been talking about the same thing all the way through the book of Matthew. And a lot of, a lot of the feeling is, I'm not sure I understand this. What does this mean? Uh, let's get this. There, there are like three groups, if you don't mind, that we're going to talk about people. That I want to talk about people. I want to talk about Jesus. And I want to talk about us, you. All right, think about this. Think of people. People are in impossible situations. We live in a little neighborhood, and right there on a the little street that we live on, we're, we're taking care to hear the stories of our neighbors a little at a time, and they're sad stories. And it's a nice neighborhood. It's a nice neighborhood. People take nice care of their places. It's like a park. They walk through everybody's and looks nice on, from the street. But then you talk to them for a while, you realize... There are people there that are there are people that are struggling with a mate 
who has really severe dementia. And their life is just totally, that's not the way they plan to spend their retirement years. Not being able to have a happy conversation or go travel. That's their life now. Or the, the lady who I have talked to a number of times, a sweet widow lady on our street who's grieving and grieving and grieving her husband's death. And she spiritually is interested but doesn't really have the spiritual answers. She's so open and eager to talk. There's sexual perversion on our street. There's adultery and fornication on our street. There's racial prejudice on our street. There's really ugly racial prejudice on our street. Little street. (laughs) I got a sense of humor. I almost want to say, and that's all in our house. (laughs) That's not true. But in our house, there's enough sin to keep us busy for a long time. Uh, Not all those on the list. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying every house on our street is occupied by people who have impossible situations. Every house. And I know some of them, and I'm learning, I want to know all of them. Hear the stories. Every house, and, and yours too, think about marriage problems. Think about family problems. Think about health problems. Think about money problems. My goodness, think about salvation. Justification itself is going to require a miracle. If people need justification by faith, they're not saved. They have to have a miracle in order not to go to hell. And a series of miracles that we call sanctification, we're all in to our, up to our next impossible situations. People are in impossible situations. And Jesus says, bring them to me. He cares and he can deliver people. He's the only one who really deeply cares and who can really, he has enough power to deliver people. He's the only one who does. He says, bring them to me. And he, and he actually is kind of rebuking here and saying, you, you're twisted in the way you're thinking. Get them to me. I can do this. And us, we are his agents embedded among people with impossible problems. He expects us to bring, now, bring them to him. Now, now, get this here. This is the part where I think we got, we, I want to really try to, this isn't just like theory. This is evangel Baptist church here and now, us. Okay? Think about it simply. People, do you know anybody out there with impossible problems? Yes. Every lost person has an impossible problem, needs justification by faith. Every saved person needs a series of miracles bursting into his life all the time in order to be growing in the Lord and be sanctified. There are people with marriage problems in the church and outside the church. There are people with uh, problems with their kids in the church and outside the church. There are people with money problems in and outside the church. People with uh, lots of health problems in the church, outside the church. People have impossible problems. And God expects his disciples to go in among them and wade in there and be embedded behind enemy lines and get those people to Jesus. Think about that. He, okay, this is the part I left out from verse 20 there. They go into private. Okay, take your Bible, look at verse 20, because I left it out because I want you to see it now so that it will land with force. This is the teaching piece. Do you understand? Jesus was... The main thing here, here that you see here is Jesus is teaching his disciples. He's trying to get them to see something because he's going to go away. It's going to be really important that they get what he's trying to teach. And he still wants us to get this. 
And so then, he says these harsh things. You perverse generation. You twisted people. Why is it that you don't get this? Bring him to me. Now, you understand who's included in that rebuke? I guess everybody there, right? It would have been the scribes and the Pharisees and the people and the disciples. And now now look in your Bible in verse 19. I said 20 earlier. It's 19. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and they said, Why could we not cast it out? The first chance the disciples get... Alone with Jesus, they're like, okay, what happened there? <laughs> that, was, that didn't work. We've been out, you know, in your power, casting out demons and helping people, and this one didn't go. <laughs> and the, various, the scribes were making fun of us. What happened? Can you debrief with us on this one? Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, move from here to there, And it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. He basically says to them, you should have kept at it, kept believing, and you could have done this one. I would have used you to do the impossible if you'd have kept believing me. Now, we have around us people with impossible circumstances. In the church, outside the church, we have impossible circumstances. Our house, your house, and all the houses up and down your block and mine. we got stuff that just hurts, and we don't know what to do about it. If Jesus is the only answer. Our job, He expects of us, and He not only expects of us, but He's going to empower us. It's going to be exciting stuff in order for us to look around our circle of influence, up and down our block, around our family for people with impossible situations, and figure out creative ways in order to nudge them to, to the Lord. Like tonight I'm going to preach a flyover of the book of John, and, and, and that's not just like to occupy time. The book of John is a, could be a, used as a powerful tool for you to influence and impact somebody else into who Jesus is. Often I've said to people, hey, would read the book of John a few times, and then let's get together and talk about it. And they got saved because they read the book of John three or four or five times. And the book of John is very powerful. It's God's Word, who Jesus is. And as a tool, we're going to explain how to do that tonight and give you the overview of the book of John. You might take the book of John. This is happening in our church. Just heard about it today. I made a suggestion. It's happening. So a cluster of people getting together on their own, kind of spontaneously, kind of organically. They just got, we made some suggestions. They, they say, we're doing that. And we're studying the book of John. They're deciding who Jesus is based on the book of John. They're learning more. That's going to be good. Because if we have impossible situations, we need to bring them to Jesus. And there are people all around us. You heard about the girl Amanda from Riverview who was just out having a good time watching the fireworks the other night. Fifteen years old. On the way home, involved in a car accident and instantly killed and now her parents that live right here in our neighborhood, our, our area, I can't imagine the extreme agony that they're going through and the pain. I, I don't know. I, I notice the folk online trying to help them, trying to help the family do some things to help them. That's one little story to us. It's a very big story to them. So there's people now all around us that are in desperately impossible situations, and we're Christian people who know who Jesus is, and the simplicity of it is, we should do whatever that we can do in order to hear their stories, love them, and God the Holy Spirit will show us ways that we can love people that have impossible situations and nudge them Godward. 
So can I just say it this way? Christian people that are followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, should get the stories of people, listen to people's stories, and nudge those people Godward in any way it works for you. Listen to their stories, and you might do something that seems weird to me, and God will use it. His Spirit will stir you up to do something that maybe seem odd to me, and God will use it. This is what he wants. He holds your face in his hands this morning and says, will you follow me in this? Or will you just like sit around and argue about, you know, who, who, wh- wh- you know about your view of demon possession or whatever? Or will you go out and be embedded agents of the impossible among people who have desperate situations? This is what I, the vision I have for, my, for this church and the vision that I have for the family, my family. I'll give you a little picture of the family, and I'd like it to be true, like of the whole church. We've, when we came here, before we came to this church, we were um, uh, kind of a little bit more, the kids were younger, and then we went in the ministry, we were all kind of like, I was the boss of everybody, they worked for, for me, kind of. And then when we came here, the, the family spread out. At first, that didn't feel good, to be honest with you, because the girls work at a hardware store, and a lot of the men that come to hardware stores are nice men. Some of you girls work in a hardware store, you know what I'm talking about. They're nice, polite, decent men. But some of them aren't, right? So they come home, they would tell things that the men in the hardware store would say, and I would think, I don't like that. Or a fellow would come home, one of my boys would come home, and somebody would say this word or that or do this, and I don't like that. I like to live in a cabin in the woods, you know, I'd be like Michael Landon in the little house on the prairie, play my violin and kids go to sleep at night and you know everybody adores me and I never do anything wrong like Michael Landon never did anything wrong ever but that's not the way my life is you know Lois and I have this distinct feeling God has said no no time has come for you to be embedded among people with you know what I'm talking about because your family is the same way and then they come in in the night and they've learned to find the stories of people. So they'll come in and they'll talk and they'll say, Dad, and they'll tell me this heart-wrenchingly sad, difficult story about some person that they care about and they like who just really needs Jesus Christ. Over and over and over again, we're not perfect at it. We're just kind of working away at it, just kind of stumbling forward in obedience to the Lord at it. That's what it looks like in our house. Lois will come and tell this story. Chuck will tell that story. And that's what it ought to look like in our church, too. Can you imagine 600 members of Evangel living up to the name, good newsers, evangelists? Go gather the stories of people who have impossible situations. Just listen to them until they break your heart. And then ask God, what do I do? And do something to nudge them Godward. We'll give you some ideas and so forth, but the best ones will be spontaneous that come out of your heart. And then what's happened? Then we have obeyed what Jesus said. I, I'm going to quit, but I had a boy in my house one day, and I'll never forget this. I'll probably, rest of my life, I'll always enjoy this. He said to me, he's standing there in the kitchen, and he said to me, I um, used to be so sad all the time. And I have permission to tell you this. He said, I used to be so sad all the time. He said, I... I, I didn't want to live, and I had to take medications because I was so sad until I came to know Jesus, until I got saved. And he says, I, and this doesn't happen for everybody right away, but he said, I don't have to take medications anymore. 
and I'm happy. <laughs> so maybe you're here not perfectly happy here today, even though you know the Lord. I understand that. Some of those things are heavy. But Jesus Christ is the answer to every impossible human problem. But he doesn't go and take care of those problems himself personally usually. What does he do? He expects his disciples to be embedded among, behind enemy lines among people with impossible situations. That's us. That's how he works. That's the way he wants to do it. So he gets his disciples off privately and he says, shame on you guys, you should have taken care of that. I expected you to take care of that. Now let's not let that happen again. Next time, you keep praying. and you st- not, It's not like he's, he's going to be one that does the impossible. Jesus is the one going to do the miracle. But he says to us, you go and stay among those demon-possessed, difficult, heartache, people that are broken, people whose finances are messed up, whatever it is. You stay there embedded as agents of the impossible. There's, a, there's an old hymn that I really like. We don't use it much anymore. But I, I love, the, I love the, the, that's a phrase in this that always comes to my heart. I probably don't have to look it up. You probably can quote it from memory. But it's, it's from the hymn that's called Rescue the Perishing. You know this one, Rescue the Perishing, Care for the Dying, Snatch them in pity from sin in the grave. Weep o'er the erring one. Lift up the fallen. Tell them of Jesus, who's mighty to save. I like that. Though they are sliding him, still he's waiting. He's waiting the penitent child to receive. Plead with him earnestly and plead with him gently. He'll forgive if they only believe. I I like those verses, but the third verse is the one that I love. And as a boy, when I sang this in church, I thought, oh, that's so beautiful. Do you remember this verse? Down in the human heart, crushed by the tempter, feelings lie buried that grace can restore. Touched by a loving heart, wakened by kindness, cords that were broken will vibrate once more. I'd like to have written that. Down in our human heart, crushed by the tempter, feelings lie buried that only grace can restore. But touched by a loving heart and wakened by kindness, those cords that were broken will vibrate once more. That boy can be happy. That woman who's been hurt and abandoned and mistreated, she can find the joy that she was looking for through the man that will never let any woman down. The child that's in a circumstance beyond their control can land on their feet with Jesus' help and make a difference in the world. Jesus does stuff like that. And we get to be agents in that, behind enemy lines. So go get them. Let's do that. Heavenly Father, today I pray for these dear ones that have gathered here. As you held our face in in your hands and you looked in in our eyes, I pray that you help us to say to you, I get it, Lord. I will, I'll be a, this will be my life. This is the way I want to live my life. This is what I want to do with my life. I want to go out there among people that are really hurting and care about them and listen to them 
And I know, Lord, you'll help me know what to say and what to do and how to nudge them to you and what vehicles to use and what words to say and when to be quiet. And Lord, deliver us from just, you know, arguing about things or, or maintaining things or doing what we're used to and thrust us into the bold adventure of gospel living. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's good to meet with you today. We'll see you tonight.